0: When we're evaluating and analyzing small and medium sized businesses, which number should we be multiplying when we're trying to estimate the value of the cash flow? I'm David C. Barnett, and you're tuned in to Small Business and Deal Making, the podcast, YouTube channel, and blog, where I talk about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium sized businesses while controlling risk. So if you're looking to take control of your future through buying a business one day, or if you already own a business and you're looking to grow or exit, you've come to the right place. I talk about interesting things, I talk to interesting people, and I answer your questions every week right here. So be sure to hit like and be sure to hit subscribe and let's get to it. Hey, so I got a great comment in one of the videos I made recently um, called Get the Job Then Buy the Business from Knucklehead, who asks, um, curious if on one of your future videos, could you discuss multiples? I recognize there's no single answer, but what kind of multiples do different industries use when selling? Multiples of sales, EBITDA, et cetera, would be curious what they're like in different industries and what multiples have you seen in some of the deals that you've been involved in? Uh, Great question. Great question. Um, Here's the very first thing that I need to say about multiples when evaluating businesses. It's not like engineering. What do I mean by that? Well, if we had a, an engineer come along and we said, "Hey, uh, we want to build a bridge. What thickness of steel should we use for the girders in this proposed structure?" The engineer would, you know, defer to mathematical formulas and whatnot, and you know, all of their information, wisdom, knowledge, etc., about building things, and come back with a number that we could then take to other engineers and they could tell us, yes, this is correct or not, the bridge will stand or it will fall, right? It's not like that in the world of businesses because what we're talking about is we're talking about property and we're talking about people who are trying to buy or sell each with their own um, you know, vested interest in a higher or lower price, et cetera. And so these multiples and the the methodologies around multiplying different levels of cash flow to come up with a value for the cash flow. It's it's think of it like a toolkit, like a, a toolbox with different things in it, hammer, pliers, you know, wrenches, etc. and we're trying to use these different tools to guide us down a path to make sure that when we do a deal that the deal makes sense, okay? So, I'm going to address what what uh, Koneckel is asking. Um, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about how we apply these. So there's different levels of cash flow. Net income is one. That's you know what the accountant puts down for tax purposes. And a lot of the times people can look at a business and say, you know what? there are decisions made within that business that reduce that net income number uh, because they're trying to manage taxes or, or the way that they finance the business, et cetera. And so we need to go and we need to add things back to get a true level of cash flow for the business. And so this is where we get our EBITDA level of cash flow or EBIT level of cash flow or our SDE level of cash flow. Um, And I'm going to put another link to a video I made a few months ago, uh, why SDE is not cash flow, I think it was called, where I explain these in greater detail. So, um, and then there's another video, the one where I talk about Warren Buffett's opinion on EBITDA, which I think is valuable too for this discussion. So, To simplify, smaller businesses, those with under, say, half a million dollars of EBITDA typically have sold on multiples of SDE. So this is your your small business, largely owner operated. And the buyer of the business looking at it is going to say, if I invest my money and acquire this business, how much money do I get for running it every day? So the profit and the owner's salary as the manager is kind of mixed together. That's the seller's discretionary earnings. Traditionally, this is a number around 2, 2.2, more service-oriented business. You lower that multiple. If it's stickier, has a bigger moat around it or its customers, then that number can move up a little bit. The EBITDA number is typically for the larger businesses. So think about a business that is more professionally run. And maybe you start to get into businesses where the ownership and management are different. Right. And so the manager is a professional kind of person. The business is generating more than half a million dollars of EBITDA a year. Now we're looking at multiples of EBITDA, for example. Now, in a business that has a lot of capital reinvestment requirements, so heavy machinery, trucking company would be a good example. um, People are going to say, wait a minute, we can't ignore the depreciation because there is a real demand on the cash flow of this business for reinvestment in capital. So they might look at multiple of EBIT or its cousin, um, you know, EBITDA with a capex budget applied, showing that not all of that cash is available and needs to be some of it needs to be reinvested every year. So these are the different sort of levels. And then there's the multiple of revenue. And I'll let's call it factor of revenue. Because not always are we multiplying by a number greater than one. Sometimes we might be multiplying by a fraction of one so that our result is less than the annual revenue, but it's still a methodology. When when I'm evaluating a business, I'm not going to say, this is a certain kind of business, this is the method I'm gonna use. What I'm going to do is I'm gonna recognize the type of company, know which one makes the most sense, but I'm still gonna look at them all. For example, um, if I look at a small business and I do a multiple of SDE, I then look at that SDE and I compare it to what the fair market wage would be for running that kind of business because I wanna know what is the extra amount that a buyer potentially is gonna get for making the risky move of buying the business. When we're looking at small enough businesses, people will often argue that, hey, that's not really a business, it's just like owning a job. Well, that can be true in some cases. And there's a market for people who want to buy a job, particularly people who for some reason are are having trouble getting into the employment market. I know it's kind of an odd thing to say today, but think about people that have credentials in another country and then they move countries and their credentials aren't recognized, right? That person might want to uh, get a higher income, but they can't work in their field. So buying a business that provides that higher income might make sense to that person so but i want to know you know how much extra are you getting does it really make sense to do this and that and the answer varies from one buyer to another right let's be straight about that so i'm going to look at these different methodologies and i'm going to consider the different methodologies when i'm looking at a business so knucklehead wanted examples so small owner run businesses with revenue under half a million typically you're relying on sde Um, the middle market, lower middle market businesses with uh, more distinct and professional management positions, EBITDA. Anything that's really capital intensive, trucking companies, construction firms, uh, EBIT or that CAPEX methodology I mentioned. Businesses that trade on multiples of revenue, two categories. Number one are businesses that don't make any money. So if you're looking at a particular kind of business that doesn't have a profit, you might think, okay, well, there's no profit, there's no cash flow, there's no real value. But buying a business like that can represent a significant head start over starting something. So is there some value there? Maybe. And so you might want to evaluate it looking at what other similar sized businesses have sold for, um, but also businesses that have a really steady flow of. Of revenue, like uh, I ran into multiple of revenue in a big way when I helped someone look at a um, property and casualty insurance brokerage. Like ninety percent of people just renew their their policy every year, and so those businesses trade for multiples of the uh, commission revenue. I guess you would call it uh, for the 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 premiums, the the commission that they get from the insurance companies. Um. In the world of SaaS businesses, highly leverageable, highly growable kind of businesses, you're often going to look at that too. And, you know, some people have a hard time in that world. It's a very special world um, because you've got a lot of people that will look at investing in those businesses from a venture capital point of view, meaning... Yeah, they've got a bunch of money, they invest in multiple businesses, hoping that one will will take off and really make a lot of money, understanding that a lot of the other ones may not do so well. And so that's a very different kind of mindset or model from an individual who's gonna buy a business because they want to make money with that business. This gets me back to the reflection. So once we use our tools and we come up with our different numbers, we then have to sit back and think, does it make sense to pay this amount of money for this kind of business with this kind of cash flow? And if I agree that it makes sense, what sort of assumptions am I making, okay? So for example, if you had a business with an SDE, uh, that's total revenue to an owner operator that works full time of $150,000, let's say, and you multiplied it by two to get it 300 grand, what assumptions are you making when you agree to buy that business for that amount of money. So basically you're, you know, on the surface level, you're saying, I agree that everything should remain constant in this business for the next two years in order for this to make sense. But but that's not actually true because you've got to recognize that your time is worth something, right? And this is where sometimes I will say like, even though we're looking at an SDE level business, we need to know what the EBITDA is. We need to know what amount of money over and above the value of your work you are earning in order to make this investment, because if we take out the value of your labor, we might find that if we look at it on an EBITDA level of cash flow, that this might be five or six times EBITDA, right? So two times SDE, it might be five or six times EBITDA. So what we're actually saying is that we assume that this business should remain relatively constant for like five years. Now, does that make sense? Well, this is gonna vary depending on the market, the industry, the type of business, et cetera. But as a buyer, you wanna look at that and you wanna say, am I willing to believe that this business should remain constant and that I have the skills to manage this business in such a way that I'm pretty certain that I should be able to run it for the next five or six years? This is going to represent the risk period upon which I am recouping my acquisition of the cash flow, right? Um, some people will argue that you invest in the business and then you recoup that investment when you sell it. Um, if you take my online course, Business Buyer Advantage, um, which is over at businessbuyeradvantage.com, one of the sections in that program is about risk, where I demonstrate that businesses of all stripes are on the march towards obsolescence and that you have to keep innovating and adjusting and changing within a business or else it will come to an end at some point and you just have to look at the lifespans of of small and medium-sized businesses in general and the statistics related to that to know that this is the case it's very different for larger businesses you know the, the middle market or publicly traded companies can have very, very long lifespans. It's not always the same thing for small businesses. And this is why you need to make an investment which involves the recouping of your investment within a reasonable time frame, in order for you to then be able to enjoy the business for a period of time where you can capitalize on the risk you took in buying it, right? So we use the different multipliers, we come up with the different numbers, We consider the type of industry. We consider what assumptions would have to be true in order for those values to make sense. And then the next step is I then consider if some of these assumptions I'm making are kind of iffy, how can I then modify the terms of the deal in order to help cushion me from some of this risk? So an example of that might be if there's a lot of customer concentration in the business. So, and and this is something that I deal with a lot with my clients where it will be a great profitable business. The buyer wants to buy it, but 60% of the revenue comes from four clients, right? So is the business really worth as much as the multiplier might indicate? Sure. As long as those clients stick around, right? So what if they don't? Well, Maybe we can create a a set of terms for acquiring this business that helps tie the seller and the ultimate purchase price into ensuring that those customers stay around. So this is where we start to get into things like having seller notes that are subject to offset or have discounts implied um, if one of those big customers should leave or if the total amount of revenue from the big client pool, you know, falls below a certain level or, or something like that. So that, yeah, we're agreeing to pay this certain amount of money today, but ultimately if things don't work out, then we will somehow not pay that full price at some point in the future after the fact, okay? Anyway, uh, great question, Knucklehead. If you wanna learn more about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses, hit subscribe, I mean, start getting the videos every week, come and join my email list. It's a great way to keep on top of everything that I've got going on. And you never miss a new video if you're on the email list. And you know, if you wanna learn more about evaluating businesses, sign up for Business Buyer Advantage. Super easy, hundreds of people have done it. Um, It's just a few hundred bucks. It's by far the most cost-effective way to spend some time with me. After the latest new modules have been put in, I think it's like pushing like 14 hours of content. Um, and once you sign up, it's there forever. You can go back and keep reviewing the content whenever you like. Anyway, thanks Knucklehead for the great question. If any of you out there have questions, put them in the comments, email them in, send them to me in one way or another. Uh, this is how I choose the topics for my videos. And until next week, I'll see you later. Talk to you soon. So how can you learn more about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses? Easy. Head over to my blog site, davidcbarnett.com, where you can learn more about me and how I work with my clients. You can learn more about my books and the online courses that I've prepared for you. You can find out about how to subscribe to my email list, the YouTube playlists, et cetera. There's literally hundreds of hours of content there, all for free. And I'd love for you to be my guest. Special thanks go out to Jeff Alpaw Customs for being my tailor. Men all around the world can look dangerous just like me with the help of Jeff Alpaw Customs. JeffAlpaw.com. Use the code DCB10 to save. They handle multiple currencies and ship anywhere you happen to be.